Oh, good morning. Very big welcome to you all. It's great to be here together. Everyone, including you, Penny. I don't know, you're kind of not concentrating up here. Yeah. <laughs> great to have you with us um, today. As, as Blair said, amazing. Only in Melbourne, huh? Last week, what was it, 40 inside? Probably about 45. Even the cooling fans couldn't do anything for us, and today people are in um, uh, jumpers, so uh, gotta, gotta, gotta love it. This, um, if, if you've are, are been at Eltham for some time, you'll know that around this time of the year, yes, we are in a, in a series, we're in the Gospel of Mark, and we're actually, um, oh, probably thanks to the, to the likes of Tom Kimber and so forth, moving along at a pretty reasonable pace. And, and we will be continuing uh, the Gospel of Mark this year, and I think we may even complete it. Wouldn't that be novel? Imagine, imagine completing, completing a book. Um, but if you've also been attending Eltham for oh, at least some time, you'll, you'll notice that around February, sometimes we'll, we'll do something a bit different. And, and I tend to think it's a good time to just pick up on a topic of interest or something. And I guess um, this year I've kind of felt like calibration. Calibration is the word which comes to mind. Um, if you calibrate a, a technical instrument or something, you, you um, make sure that you adjust it so that it is, it is correctingly, uh, sorry, working correct, perfectly true. You calibrate it so that it is, so that it is operating correctly. And I, I sort of thought, well, you know what? I think there's just a bunch of little bits of topics from time to time that when we're in a series, we might not pick up on. And um, although the one that I'm about to talk on this morning, we always pick up on, but it's just so exciting. I, I just wanted to do it again. But, um, um, but sometimes there are little bits of, you know, various topics in the life of a church that we might not normally be able to cover. So in this month of February, our time of calibration, we want to, we want to look at a few of those. To, this morning, I want to talk to you about mission, local and global, but I want to talk to you about God's heart for mission. I want to talk to you about the fact that he's not, he's not slow to act, as some people might understand it, but, but he's patient, not wishing or desiring that any should be lost. I want to talk to you about God's heart for the lost this morning. Somebody borrowed my car um, uh, oh, a couple of weeks ago, changed the radio station on it. So when I, when I started it up the other day, uh, an unfamiliar station started to play and they had a competition on. Um, you may have even heard this. You may even know what radio station it is. I still don't. Uh, it, it got turned off shortly after. But, but I listened for a moment. They've got a competition whereby some lucky listener apparently, if you believe it, is going to win apparently $5 million. And so as I was listening to the radio station, and they're probably going to tie that, by the way, too. I forgot to mention that. But some lucky listener is going to, going to win $5 million. And so you can imagine the radio station, will probably this competition will probably run the entire year. You know, They're going to milk that for all it's worth. But people were, were ringing in and answering the question, how would you spend $5 million? And the few answers that I listened to ranged from, you know, I'm getting married, I'm going to have a honeymoon. I thought, oh, $5 million honeymoon, that's something, isn't it? <laughs> you know, somebody else rang in and they're going to throw a big party. Somebody else rang in and most of it had to do with holidays and travel and things like that. It was, it was interesting. In that time, nobody rang in, and I don't know if the calls have edited or not, but nobody rang in and said, I want to give it to medical research. 
or I want to, I want to make poverty history, or I want to, I didn't hear anything like that. It was all about that consumerist mindset that I'm sure is making the competition win in, in the first place. $5 million, how would, you, how would you spend it? The truth is that you and I have been given so much more than $5 million. You might be sitting there thinking, I have. <laughs> Bring out your phone app and look at your bank account. You and I have been given so much more than $5 million. We have been given the gospel of grace. We have been given a saviour who has stood between us and our sin and shame. Grace has covered us over and he has declared it's finished. As a MasterCard commercial has recently said, that's priceless. We have this gospel of grace. What are we going to do with it? What are you and I going to do with it? Well, what is mission? The word mission is interesting. It's a Latin word. It's the word we often use whenever Scripture speaks of sending. Um, in John 15, 5, just to get a picture of mission, in John 15, 5, Jesus declares, I am the vine and you are the branch. Now, that's a theme that, that we're very, very familiar with here at the Vine Baptist Church. And you might think, is there anything else that can be actually said on, on that particular topic? Let me, let me marry that thought. I am the vine and you are the branch. Let me marry that thought with another scripture and, and actually welcome Ross and Heather Henson. Why don't we put our hands together for them? Great to have you with us. Ross knows this. This was one of my devotions recently at, at um, some board meetings with Hellenic Ministries, so he knows what I'm about to say. But let me marry that verse with another verse. Um, I was asked at some recent board, board meetings in, with Hellenic Ministries to, to give a devotion one morning. Now, we're, we're all involved in mission, and it, and it, seems, it seems a little odd, doesn't it, to, to speak about the Great Commission. But that's what I did from Mark chapter 16. I've been quite, uh, I, I guess, uh, interested in verses 19 and 20 in your Bibles. Often that last part of Mark is sort of, oh, it's, you, you read through it and you get to that part and there's a caution in your, in your Bibles there. Oh, this was not included in the original manuscripts. And I guess you sort of ask yourself, oh, do I read it or not? I don't know. It's okay, read it. There's nothing in that particular section of Mark that you, that you won't find somewhere else in, in Scripture. It talks about, You'll be able to drink poison. You won't be affected and handle snakes and so forth. But what we see that that happened with uh, poison, Elisha, poor snakes, it's talking about the power of God, the power of God manifest in our midst. You'll find everything in that particular section of Mark somewhere else in Scripture. I'd say, I'd say go for it. I could say definitely 
that um, there are things to learn in there. But the interesting thing is, the bit that I, I want to share with you is verse 19 and 20. Verse 19 says, And after all of this, Jesus ascended, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Again, all of Scripture testifies to that fact. Where is Jesus? He is sitting at the right hand of God. Then verse 20 says, The disciples went out, and they preached the good news and healed and so forth. Verse 20 says, And the Lord worked with them. So now we've got two pictures. We've got, on the one hand, Jesus ascended, and he's at the right hand of God. On the other hand, we've got a statement that says, and the Lord worked with them. So in our minds, we're sort of trying to get our heads around this, and we've got a sense of we're picturing heaven, we're picturing the throne of God, and we're picturing Jesus sitting down at his right-hand side. But now we're also picturing earth, we're picturing disciples like you and I going about our day-to-day business, and somehow the Lord is working with us. How do we make sense of that? Let me go back to John 15, 5. I am the vine and you are the branch. Now, when you think of that picture, what do you think of? Well, you think of a vine and branches and so forth. Perhaps you picture the branches connecting to the vine and the vine connected to a trunk and the trunk finding its roots in earthly soil. But let me just adjust that picture for a moment. Where is Jesus? Seated at the right hand of God. Where is the trunk of the vine? It is at the right hand of God in the heavenly realm and the roots go down into the very authority of God that is found in the throne of God. And then the branches stem out of that vine and those branches stem all over into our day and age, all over the world. And there are branches all over this congregation right now, but not only in this congregation. As the sun rises slowly, yes, we're some of the first, aren't we, to, to begin a new day on wonderful planet Earth. But as the sun continues to rise right around the world, God's people all over the world will be waking up and worshipping him today. And all of them represent the branches of the vine. It's a picture of mission. Did you realize that as a, as a branch of the vine, as somebody who has been sent by God on mission, your authority and your capacity to minister the grace of God is rooted in the very throne of God in the heavenly realms. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. The basis for this mission is found at the very right hand of God. That is pretty exciting, isn't it? And from the right hand of God, at the trunk of the vine, where that vine is rooted in the very authority that comes from the Father, branches stem out all over the world to accomplish God's purposes. That's a picture of mission. That's a picture of the the church on, on mission. In fact, We sometimes use the Latin phrase, missio Dei. It means the mission of God. And it refers to the God sending. The Father sends the Son. The Son ascends to the right hand of God. The Son sends the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes to live in all of us. And John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. The Spirit sends the church and indwells in them and empowers them for mission. That's what mission is. And that's why, in one sense, our vision statement, John 15, 8, which talks about the fact that as abiding disciples, we desire to live fruitful lives so our God is seen for who he really is. That kind of captures our our sense of being an extension of Jesus. 
all over the world, wherever he sends us, producing fruit, fruit that will last. The most important part is that abiding. That's what we understand when it comes to mission. Well, what is the need? Jesus has just ministered to Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 in verse 10. After this amazing moment of ministry, he sums up his mission by saying, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. What is the need? The need is that if you are apart from God, if you are not a part of that vine, then Scripture describes that person as being lost. And God sent his son to find them. The scope of that, how big is that? Well, we know from Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, as Jesus was going through the towns and the various villages, at one, one particular situation, it seems, where he seemed to have a, a, an amazing view of all those in front of him. He stops, he gathers his disciples around him. And I can imagine him saying this with tears in his eyes, He just looks at the crowds and he says, oh, his heart weeping for them. They're harassed and they're helpless like sheep without the shepherd. The the need in terms of just the breadth of need, the scope of need. When we hear Jesus looking at the crowds, we think of of crowds today as well. And some of you know this illustration. I've shared it before. But but basically, if we were to look at the crowds today, just, just, just the numbers, the sheer, the sheer numbers, 7.6 billion people in our world today, how could we possibly look at a crowd that size? Well, we could do it this way. We could line up everybody in the entire world to, to stand together in one line because that would make it kind of easy. And if everybody was to stand shoulder to shoulder and, and really, really squash up a bit because we want to make this kind of as easy as we can get it, maybe we'd have three people to every one metre. And if we were to line up 7.6 billion people, um, you'd, you know, you work out how many metres that is, and, and then we would say, okay, well, we're going to go look at the crowds. We're going to do that. That's what we're going to do. And so we might do it on foot. We'd say, oh, crowds, crowds, crowds. That's going to take a long time. Let's just, let's just do it the easy way. We'll all go hire a nice one of them A380s, will all jump on board this A380 and will take off, will fly over that line of people, which actually, when you do the calculations, actually circles the globe a couple of times, which is, makes it handy being in an A380. We will jump in that A380, we'll fly at 900 kilometres an hour, and we will fly continuously over that line until we get to the end. Now, how long do you think it will take us? 7.6 billion people. Let me just say... It's going to be a long service. In fact, clear your schedules for the next week, the next two weeks, three weeks. Clear schedule for the next month. Assuming, of course, that we can be refueled in the air, and this is just one continuous flight, and imagine the frequent flyer points, by the way, but just assuming that it is one continuous flight, it's going to take us four months. Four months to fly over the population of the world, to see the crowds that every day Jesus Christ sees. Now, of course, if you're like me, you need a little bit of beauty sleep. Actually, if you're like me, you need a lot of that. But, but at least let's, let's ration it out and say eight hours a day should do us both. One third of the time that we have been in the air, we will be asleep. We'll have our eyes shut. 
and we will miss a third of the world. And that actually represents the number that missiologists estimate today have never, ever heard of Jesus Christ. That's the crowds. That's the picture of it. They have not heard his name. They do not know who to call upon. They do not know who to worship. When they look up at that same starry sky that, that you and I can look up at every night, it's not too cloudy, they do not know who to worship as a result of that. They do not know their creator. A third of the world has never had the opportunity to yet hear. And part of my heart, I think, ever since I was a young lad, it's quite egalitarian, but part of me just says, well, that's not fair. My heart just cries that everyone, regardless of their, their situation or circumstances, that they would have the same opportunity that you and I have had to know the love of Jesus Christ, that they would have that chance. If they want to reject Jesus Christ, let them at least do it as a result of an informed decision, not out of ignorance. That's mission. That's what we talk about when we talk about our, our global concern. That's the breadth of it. But what about the, the depth of it? Jesus looked at those crowds and he says they're harassed and they're helpless like, like sheep without a shepherd. I think of my time in, time in Greece. There was a, a board dinner. Hellenic Ministries themselves hosted it. Uh, there was these lovely gentlemen who were had, dressed up in some really nice pants and a white shirt and a little waiter's vest and and I didn't recognize any of them but um, Matt Gully who was organizing the event introduced them to me or introduced them to all of us as they were waiting on the tables and all of all of them were actually new believers who had turned from Islam and had found Jesus Christ as their savior but um, as I was chatting with Muhammad he told me his story in the search for hope, he had left Afghanistan. Um, he, had, he had gotten through the highways. He'd gotten into Turkey. He'd made his way across Turkey to the shore. He used all the money that he had to, uh, to purchase a seat on an inflatable raft. He got into the middle of the Aegean Sea on his way to Greece and on his way to freedom and on his way to search for hope. Halfway there, he was intercepted by the Coast Guard. They arrested everybody, took them back to Turkey. There, he said, we were beaten and, and, and taken back to the border. And once we got back into Afghanistan, we were beaten again. And now, actually, because we tried to leave, my, my life was in jeopardy. So they had to go again. But this time, he couldn't go through the main highways. He had to go over the mountaintops. He did that. He got back into Turkey, back to the shore. Again, he had to, had to just work in Turkey to try and get enough enough money to be able to buy that seat on the inflatable boat. He did it again. Again, venturing into the open seas, somebody who had never seen that much water in all their life, risking everything in search of hope. This time, got to Lesphos from the island of Lesphos to Athens, met a young lady in Athens. The idea was to get into Europe somewhere because that's where hope lay. But she was impacted by the, by the ministry of Hellenic ministries, had come to Christ and was slowly introducing him to the same ministry. He didn't like this Jonathan McCreese. A bit suspicious of him. Something's not quite right. But slowly, 
through the love of the Christian fellowship there, he too was one to Christ and now actually works on the Hellenic Ministries team. That search for hope drove him to actually venture across those open seas on two occasions, knowing there's got to be something more. That's the depth of need that people feel. Fortunately, there in Athens, he found Jesus, and of course, he, he found hope. When we think about the need, we, we understand it too in, in terms of an Acts 1.8. Jesus saying, when you receive this gift from the Father, power from on high, you will be my witnesses. You'll be empowered. You'll be able to be my witnesses. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, indeed, even to the very ends of the earth. And sometimes we can be tempted, and I think churches can make this mistake, and I praise God that we haven't. But churches can be tempted on occasion to say, or to think of that as, as successive. Okay, so firstly, we try and win our own people, Jerusalem. And then, when that job's done, we go to Judea. And then, huh, boy, if we've still got time, we'll do Samaria. And then, well, out of whatever's left over, we'll go to the ends of the earth. And that is not how the Greek reads. If it did, the correct English translation would say, firstly, you go to Jerusalem, you be my witnesses there, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Your English translation doesn't have that. Why not? Because the Greek doesn't have it. It is not successive. It's, not a, it's, a, it's a both end, not an either or. God's heart is for the whole world, and that should be our heart as well. I have... Previously, before I was pastoring a church, you know, my background was in missions, and I guess I've been to some 45 different countries and churches all around the world, and probably more than the average person, because most weeks I was in a different church, being a little shanty in the, in the Philippines, where the children's program was the kids all running out, well, there were no walls, it was just a roof. The children would just run over the side of the hill, and I remember our, our children running with them, and, and Bron and I... That's interesting. And down into the jungles, they disappeared for the children's program. I don't know what happened. The service went on and they reappeared back up the hill out of the jungles again. And, and that was great. I've been in a, a church of 60,000 people in South Korea. You take off your shoes and you stand at a pulpit on a little red cushion, which is very comfortable for the, pul for the preachers. Very, very formal. Found God there. Um... Little, little fellowship in Malaysia where I thought it was a reasonable sermon, but afterwards they asked would I come and pray and people flocked forward to pray. And I was supposed to join the pastoral team as we laid hands on people and so I did that and I noticed people falling over everywhere. I was starting to feel the pressure. I think I was supposed to do that too. I think that's what they're expecting. And I could see a lady, you know, who'd come up for prayer, you know, sort of wavering in front of me like she wanted to fall over. And I think, well, I'm not going to push you. And it was a very, very different experience. But I've been to churches all over the world. And seen the heart of God in the heart of his people. And this I can tell you. Those churches that were engaging in God's global concern were healthy churches. And those churches that were consumed by their, their local needs often were not. It's a both end. God asks us to share his heart and his heart is for the, for the whole world. My experience is that often our, our local mission informs our global mission. The saying is, 
what you, what you pack here is, is what you use over there. By that, I don't just mean your shoes and your socks. and I mean, what you pack here, my, my experience, my, my spiritual gifts, my natural abilities, my talents, my training, my experience, the way God has shaped me, what I, what I pack here and take with me informs how God might use me somewhere else in the world. And vice versa, when I experience God working somewhere in a distant land, in a distant place, and my heart is thrilled by that, and I have a story or I have a testimony about that, I bring that back to my local situation, and global mission inspires local mission. Local informs global, global inspires local. I come back with a story, a testimony of the goodness of God and just how incredible He is, and it inspires our local efforts. It just picks up our act a little bit and says... Look how God worked there. It's like the 70 returning. We saw Satan fall from the sky like lightning. That's incredible and it inspires the local work. That seems to be the way God, God chooses involving his church in mission to, to help build his church. Well, what is it that we do? That's what, that's what mission is, but how does it actually work? What, how do we save the lost? What is it that we're offering Matthew 28, 18 to 20. This is Jesus' big moment. He's going to give his, you know, the great commission to his disciples. Go. All authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. And this is it. What's the great commandment? Go plant churches. Actually, surprisingly, because we live in a world where church planting is, and it's a very valid task, by the way. Surprisingly, he says, Make disciples. Go, make disciples. Well, we can all do that, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. That's what it means to, to make a disciple. I, I was on the board um, for some time, as many of you know, of uh, Christian Surfers International. And I remember at one particular meeting, we're in um, Bali. Often the meetings were in kind of exotic places. That's where the surf is. We're in Bali at the time, and we met in this little, little house. And, and one of the guys there said, I've got a confession to make. And so we all go, okay, what's, what's been happening? I planted a church. And there was this, <gasps> Christian surfers don't plant churches. We... We ministered to surfers. What, what happened? How did you plant a church? He said, well, I was, I was just doing this and this. And I guess you could say I was making disciples, and <laughs> suddenly we had a church. What do we do? He said, oh, well, we better make some new policies around that then, I think. <laughs> you see, if you make disciples, church happens. That's what I've discovered. The focus is on making disciples. You try to make a church, and... Uh, it doesn't work. You make disciples, church happens. So how do we make disciples? We've often used this very, very simple definition. A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus. Discipleship is taking somebody else. Come, come with me. Taking somebody else to the one that you're following. If you just take them to yourself and stop short, then you kind of abort the process. If they're following you, they're following the wrong person. 
But if you actually take them to Jesus and say, listen, you know, I'm glad that you came to follow, follow me this far, but please, please, you've got to see Jesus. <laughs> please understand. Love you. I'm so glad that, so glad that God has used me to, to somehow bless you. But discipleship is taking them to follow, follow Jesus. It means both saving and shaping. Discipleship is, is saving the lost, seeking and saving the lost. It's introducing them to Jesus, and that means having proximity. Somebody has actually worked out in terms of somebody coming to the Lord, somebody coming to salvation saying, I understand the gospel of good news. I want what you have. I want this Jesus. Somebody has worked out that on average that takes 6.2 contacts with a genuine believer, getting to know them, watching their lifestyle, understanding how this Christian thing works. 6.2 contacts. We have to have proximity with people in order for, to introduce them to the Saviour. And I would say when it comes to evangelism, there is no greater weapon in the hands of God than an abiding disciple. What is the most powerful program? Abiding disciples. When we have proximity with unbelievers and they get to see us live out the faith that we have within. And yes, use words where, where necessary. But when they see the life of an abiding disciple, it's a powerful, powerful tool. Disciple making is about, about both saving, but it's also about shaping. It's then going that next step and saying this new, this new life that you have found in Jesus Christ, symbolized by, by your baptism, showing that you have died with Christ and raised up to a whole new life. Now you need to learn to live that out. Now you need to learn what I am still learning. And that is, that is how to put into practice everything that Jesus, Jesus ever taught or commanded. Like everything? Yeah, everything. It takes a lifetime? Yeah, plus, plus. <laughs> That's discipleship. And by the way, obedience in the New Testament is synonymous with love. If you want to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, Jesus says, so obey my commands. There's no better way to show that. Dallas, Dallas Willard, he's a, quite a well-known well -known author. I just heard a quote of his yesterday at our leadership conference up at Diamond Valley Baps there between the northern churches. Craig Ogden was talking a little bit about this topic and he, and he quoted Dallas Willard and he said, a disciple is who Jesus would be if he lived in your shoes. A disciple is who Jesus would be if he lived in your shoes. I thought about that. I sat there thinking about it. I thought... I mean, Dallas Willard is a great theologian and writer, but I, I just want to tweak that a little bit. I wrote down, actually, a disciple is someone who increasingly understands he does. He actually does live in my shoes. So I try to get the best shoes I can. A disciple is somebody who increasingly understands Jesus is living in my shoes. He is desiring to live 
his life through me. That's the abiding disciple. So we are called to make disciples. Teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. There's a lot in that, but, but how do we respond today? What makes this practical for us? What's our response? Well, as a church, it means disciple-making and discipleship is always our priority. If you ever have a look at that pretty blue-green chart at the, at the back there, it talks about the, the connectedness between our vision statement and, and our strategy and the way we're structured. We have to keep reviewing that. And, and I would love to spend, actually, 2019 looking at our structures again, restructuring and, and asking ourselves, are we doing it? Not because we got it all wrong and not because, you know, oh, things are terrible. No, 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 no. As I said to somebody yesterday, turning eight doesn't mean that being seven was wrong, you know. <laughs> it just means we have to, we're always growing, always reviewing, always trying to understand how can we be as faithful as we possibly can to the mandate that God has given us as a church. And so I think it's a good, good year just coming back, having completed 10 years, long service leave. It's a good time to actually review the way we've been doing things. Think about our structures. Think about the way that we do life together and to, to ask ourselves, can we, can we be even more faithful in our heart and in our practice, Jesus, to your command to, to make disciples? But it also means just at a at a local level, of making sure that we continue to not forget the global. So at the local, we'll be looking at the way we do everything, restructuring and, and trying to find new and better ways to, to be able to make disciples be faithful to that commandment. But there's another side to that, and that is, but we can't, we can't forget our global involvement as well. And what does that mean? And I know that's kind of the tricky one for many of us, isn't it? I mean, there, there could be some of you who are sitting here today and you've always had that little seed in you. You've always had that little nudge from the Spirit of God that maybe one day I might serve God cross-culturally. I know some of you and I know that he's already planted that seed in your heart. And praise God, we want to we journey with you and walk with you and just see what God has in store for you. That's really exciting. As a church, maybe one day we'll even get to partner with you and... And be able to send you. That'd be, that'd be so thrilling. But there are others, you've never had that kind of a nudge. You, you don't get that sense. Does that mean that you can't participate in what God is doing? Not at all. But practically speaking, it might look a little bit different. It might mean that, that you're going to be, as somebody has phrased, serving as a sender a little bit more. You've still got your local mission. You're still a missionary. You're sent out into the marketplace Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, come back together again Sunday to be reconsecrated, recommissioned. As we go out the door, we, we, we enter the mission field. So you're still on mission with God, but, but in terms of partnering and, and participating in what he's doing globally, what, what could that look like? Well, a great way to do that is to support the, the folk that we've already sent from this church. And you can, you can see the, the photos out there in the hallway. You can grab their prayer cards. And as I've often said to people, collect the entire set. 
and put them on the fridge so that every time you, you open that up and, and get the milk, you can send up a prayer for this family or that family. Um, that's, a, that's a great start, praying for them, supporting them. They're only there actually because of our financial support. I think just about every missionary family that we have out there that I know of is undersupported. So if you're asking the question, do any of them need any more? The answer is yes. <laughs> and our little motto or slogan here is that everyone supports someone. Now, what age are you allowed to engage with and support a missionary family? When can you start taking an interest in them and pray for them and, and perhaps even financially set aside finances for that family as well? The answer is zero. That's good. Anytime after birth, you can start to support a missionary family. And parents, it's a great time to already start to, to sow that seed in the hearts of your kids to have those prayer cards on the, on the meal table in the evenings and to pray to, you know, let the kids choose one. Who would you like to pray for tonight? And shuffle them around. And that's a great way to train them in how we as a church support God's, God's global cause. There's all sorts of creative things that you can do there. And in another way is to, is to actually at some time participate that's why as a church we, um, we commend people to short-term mission trips. Sometimes as a couple of people doing that this year, often young people, you know, I've, my school's going on a mission trip or I've been invited on a mission trip and we'd say, go for it. We love to get behind, get behind that as well. But then we have a couple, of, a couple of mission trips as well as a church that we love to send a team on. And as Blair mentioned before, as part of the announcements, we have a couple of those to commend to you. But they don't have to be cross-cultural, and they don't have to be overseas. Um, Ross and Sandy Peachy were just telling me what a delight it was this year to get involved in a beach mission. They, they heard about young Daniel Roberts, who was leading a mission, and he needed some support. It was in fear and trepidation. And they joined his team, and Ross was saying, do you know that young Daniel Roberts? was a star. He did an amazing job. But the blessing that came to them as a family by participating, he said, it was amazing. Our kids are on fire. You don't have to go far to be able to experience a little bit of what God is doing around the world. But at some point, you might like to see what does it look like by crossing a culture. You may only do it ever once in your life, but, but it can be a great experience to see how God can speak anyone's language, actually. And so we have a couple of trips, and we're commending them to you early on at the start of the year because, well, often they take time to, to plan towards, to save towards, and so forth. And there's, there's two this year that we want to just commend to you. You may go, you may not. You may pray for people. You may support some people. You might find some young person, tap them on the shoulder and say, I want to send you. Who knows how God might have you get involved? But, but here, 
I think we've got a slide of, of, of one that we're going to, going to put up. But this year, they're both, both to Greece. In 2020, we're actually talking, and when Paul and Mel Jessup get back um, very, very shortly uh, in the coming months, we're going to, they're back for the rest of the year. We're going to talk to them about another mission trip possibility um, in Japan in 2020. But this year, there are two opportunities in Greece, and, and, and one of them is um, Operation Joshua. You can see the poster down the back. And, and basically, that one is a summer campaign in, in Greece where some four or 500 people gather and uh, basically they go out in cars, in teams every day with a bag such as this. And in it is a Greek Bible, the, the New Testament, only translated into modern Greek in 1989, believe it or not. So most households don't actually have a copy. But interestingly... Um, the way that the Greek culture works, if you could put it on a phone app or if you could have a hard book with a Greek Orthodox stamp on it, this works best. So often after handing these around, we'll, we'll go back through the villages and we'll see people actually sitting on, the, you know, on, a, on a Grecian summer out there on their, on their patios and so forth with the Bible open, having, having a read. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. But they don't necessarily trust a Bible app. And so this seems to be the best way to put God's word in, in their hands. It's a great little, little mission trip. It's one our church has been partnering with, um, Hellenic Ministries, for many, many years. And, and Jonathan and the team will be joining us as they, they often do in March. And they'll explain a little bit more there. But I just wanted to prep you and let you know we'll be sending a team this year. And maybe God wants you to pray whether you might be involved in, in some way. And then later on, and... Perfect timing to have Ross and Heather back, back today. You could talk to Ross about this, but remember, remember how our, what we do locally can sometimes inform what we do globally. Well, Porto Astro, uh, Hellenic Ministries Camp, where they, they have an, oh, an amazing opportunity to minister to many, many people from all around the world. We've seen very, very moving stories of Muslim background uh, folk being baptized and coming to faith. Um, up at the campsite there, but it was virtually washed away uh, through ra heavy rain and a landslide. And um, they would love a team of, of builders and laborers and folk to come and, and replace the roofs of, of 12 houses, rebuild another building that is in dire need of repair and, and help just with some earthworks and things. And if you're interested in that, hey, over the next few weeks, come and talk to Ross and Heather about that opportunity. But, but um, we already have about three, four people with a building background, who had put up their hand and said, we want to we wanna go. I haven't picked the time yet, or just be in the second half of the year, or maybe you want to be involved in, in, that as, in that as well. I want to finish with a video. And I want you, this, this video, if you look carefully, you should be able to pick some people from, from our church um, in this video. As you have a look at it, yes, it's a, it's a promotional video for Operation Joshua, but there's something else I want you to see as well. Have a look at it, and in a moment I'll come back and we'll, um, um, I'll, I'll point out what it is I, want, I think God wants us to see. Thanks. Just incredible to see another dream realized uh, this year to have completed something that we didn't believe was possible, but to get to 865 villages door to door. Smallest villages included three to seven Bibles, and the largest was over 30,000. From the beginning of the church, God gave His Word to His people so that we can know Him, uh, know His heart, and know how to love Him. 
giving a Bible to people in Greece who do not have one. We give people an opportunity to know who this God is who created them, the God who loves them, the God that wants to have a fellowship with them. And therefore, to, to bring the Bible to households is a privilege to ensure that people can hear the Word of God, but to know God and to follow Him. I think it's really important for us to come together because we come together united as one body and um, it's just really special to be serving the Lord together from all the different countries and to be going out and giving God's word because people need God's word so much in Greece. We get out there um, in the villages, we drive up the street and, and one by one we hop off the car and we put Bibles under the doors. I like the worship at the end of the night when you're completely exhausted from distributing the Bibles and then you come and do worship and you kind of just fill up again and then you go to bed and that's, that's my favorite thing. What I love about OJ is the fellowship with believers from all over the world. And it's excellent for our children to be here as well because they make friendships with young believers from all over the world as well. We cannot Thank the Lord enough for you, for your participation, uh, for your service, for your love for Jesus, for your support of those who came, for your contributions towards Bibles. We just thank you again for making this such an incredible experience. And we can't wait for next year. Fantastic. I just wanted to finish on this note. Mission is God's heart for the lost. His solution is the church. His strategy is discipleship, making disciples. Discipleship means teaching people to obey everything that Jesus commanded. To obey everything that Jesus commanded means having the word of God in your own language. And here's a big shout out to the wonderful people in our congregation who so faithfully serve with Wycliffe Bible Translators and SIL. We want to just acknowledge, acknowledge their work and actually plan to do so in a more formal way um, in, in a few weeks' time. The Word of God is a precious resource. It's the basis on which we understand how to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. And he asks us to have a heart, yes, for what's happening locally, but also what's happening globally. I've talked a little bit about participating in God's global heart and how that might look and opportunities for doing that. But then it comes back, doesn't it, till tomorrow. And it comes back to the opportunities that God is going to give to you. You saw the map of the world up there. Well, it was actually, sorry, it was a map of Greece. In my head, though, I thought, what if that was a map of the world? And you saw all of a sudden it being blotted out, didn't you? Little bits as, as various towns and villages were covered with literally the, the word of God. They were blotted out as if that's covered, that's covered, that's covered. My picture is of, of God's heart that you've got a picture of the entire world and not towns but people, hearts, those who are lost. And what God wants to see is, is that map be populated with with colour, the colour of life that comes to people when they have received the word of God. And for that map to be filled because it's his desire that none should be lost. 
So what does this mean for us as a church? What does this mean as abiding disciples of Jesus Christ who are desiring to live fruitful lives so that God is seen for who he really is? What's this mean for tomorrow morning for you? Uh, instead of a house, we just saw pictures of people hanging the written word of God on the, on the gate of a house. Instead of a house, think of a heart. And perhaps instead of the written word of God, think of the spoken word of God. What opportunities will you have tomorrow to participate in the mission of God? As you meet different people, family, friends, neighbours, workmates, just random people you meet. What opportunities will God give to you to bless their heart and perhaps speak to them a word in season, his spoken word, his life-giving word, so that they will be filled with the colour of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us so much more than $5 million. You have given to us this gospel of grace. You have called us to go make disciples. We do so assured that we are doing it through the very authority of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father. We are an extension of his work as is a branch to the vine. The promise for each of us is and I will never, ever, ever leave you nor forsake you. Tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Lord, would you please give us opportunities to express your love? for others. Would you do it, please, Jesus? And now would you all stand with me? We're going to sing in a moment, but this last part of the prayer, I want to pray as a commissioning for all of us as a church for 2019. I want to pray over all of you who agree in your heart that Jesus Christ is your Savior and your Lord, that he has all authority, that he is sending you. And I pray this prayer, go make disciples. Go make disciples. Baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. And in your heart of hearts, that quiet spot where the Spirit of God speaks to you, you might want to say an amen, yes and amen.